You're about to hear from one of the most accomplished financial journalists in the world and maybe most entertaining money guests we've had on the Retire Sooner podcast. Jill Schlesinger from CBS News and CBS Radio doesn't want you to retire early. Instead, she wants to help you find financial independence as soon as possible. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Jill Schlesinger, hello from, uh, I'm in Pennsylvania today. I'm at my mom's house. So Very her, nice. You know, you've been doing this a long time and you've been on every TV show and CBS and all. And so you've got lots of broadcasting. I'm more of a radio guy. Mm-hmm. So I know you do radio and podcasts, but you also do TV. So you're TV yeah. too. But you started in this industry at, you were, were you a commodities trader? I was a gold, silver, and copper options trader. Options, which have gotten a bad rap, my friends. Yeah. Which, I mean, not everyone should trade them, but um, my dad was in the business. My father was a trader on the floor of the American Stock Exchange. I worked for him. I clerked for him. Um, Summers, you know, I would go and work for him. And then his best friend from college was a big trader on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. So I worked there. And so when all of my friends were getting fancy jobs and job offers in the late 80s, working for places like Solomon Brothers or Goldman Sachs or Payne Weber, uh, I went down to the floor of the Commodities Exchange. I became the, I believe, this could be, I, I may be dating myself, but in 1987, I was the youngest person to be trading on a seat on the floor of the commodities exchange. But you know, look, this but you, is- wait, wait, By um, the way, you went to Brown. So it's not, yeah, not like so. they have, isn't, isn't everyone from Brown like a writer? I mean, did they? Did you really- uh, or, or a protester in my years. Um, <laughs> you know, no, there was no, my, so my parents were shocked that I went to, that I cared about where my sister and I went to school. So my sister went to Penn, I went to Brown. Um, we grew up in very privileged uh, suburbs and everyone was going to school. So, um, you know, when I went to Brown, I went to play soccer. So mm, I was recruited okay. to play soccer. So I really didn't care whatever they had classes. They were fine. I was going to be, I don't know what I thought I was going to be like a you're professional a, soccer player, athlete. whatever. Yeah, athlete, and there okay. was, there was no professional soccer then. Um, but you know, my, my parents and my dad specifically, he was like, don't be an economics major, super boring. Uh, just get a good education, find out who the best professors are, just take those classes. And that's kind of what I did. So I was, I think, um, officially a my major, which at Brown we called a concentration, was uh, international relations. So a little poli sci, a little econ, a little this, a little that, and a little bit of, and then also English because I love to read. So, but I graduated. It didn't matter because you know, idiots. If you had a heartbeat, you could get a job. It's not like now. And there was a huge, strong economy, a bull market. Mm-hmm. So I got this job. I was a trader on the floor. Um, three, four, five years later, I was like, oh, this is horrible. I really thought it was going to take over my dad's business. I didn't. And the 
I just, I did not love trading. I wasn't a great trader. I was a decent trader. By, it was like way, a so-so so one. For our audience, because there's very few humans on the floor of any exchange anymore. So right. what was that? Just maybe give us a quick window on what, you know, for the 25 mm. year old listening, they're like, what do you mean? You were, you were at your computer okay. trading? Or you know, Jill is not at the computer. Explain what you used to this um, was like. So um, there were these things called physical trading floors. And the best thing that you can do if you want to see where the place where I worked is to go stream a movie called Trading Places with uh, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis. And um, so what the, the kind of trading floor that I worked on is called an open outcry floor. There's a pit. And um, it's which is a circle, right? And it has steps down. And each step is sort of a tier in the process. So the people who stand at the top are the people who say, I have an order to buy or sell some something. And the people who are sort of are down at the bottom are the people who are the folks who say, I'll either buy it for myself or maybe I'd buy it for someone else. But uh, generally, we trade it for ourselves mm -hmm. at the bottom. And so... It was it was crazy. I mean, I always used to say that the the trading floor, at least for commodities or in uh, the Chicago Merck and some of the Philly exchange was like this, too, that um, that those exchanges were somewhere something like um, a, a rugby scrum meets a fraternity party, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, and, so it was um, like, like literally you're getting bumped around. I always think of like yeah. people getting bumped around. That's that's correct. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it was funny. I just ran into a guy who is a trader on the Merck in New York, the New York Mercantile Exchange, is where, where crude oil is tra traded. Mm -hmm. It's a huge exchange. And I, I recognized him. You know, we're all 100 years older. But I said, oh, Tommy, I remember you so well. And um, and, and he's like, I don't really remember you. I said, well, you know, I was <laughs> in the part of the trading floor where you didn't you never went. I wanted to trade in the oil pit because that's where all the action was in the 80s. And I remember my boss saying, you're not big enough. Oh, literally. Meaning, you're you're not, physically, yeah, you're not, you need to be like a... Got to be big. Yeah. Got to be. There were no... And so, by the way, no, hardly any women. So, on the commodities exchange, which is right in, you know, sort of the same room as the mercantile exchange, we traded gold, copper, op, uh, gold, copper and silver. And then the options, the derivatives of those futures contracts. I was an options trader. There were 800 male members... 800. And eight hundred. Eight hundred, and there were eight women. So I was one of eight, and you're I was twenty. One, you're one percenter. I am right in the begin from the beginning. And, and by the way, happily, <laughs> happily starting there. Thank God I didn't go backwards. You know, it's always awful to grow up with advantage and then you slide back. That's the worst. So uh, anyway, so I did that for a bunch of years. But then, how it, did you become like so? So, but take me to the. You did that. Then you were in the RIA industry. I know you're a CFP, but then how did you get into all the broadcasts? I mean, CBS News is like, I don't know, it's like, that's like the major league. So how many, when did you break into that? So um, I became a, as you said, uh, I became an advisor. I, I found my way um, to a firm that was a teeny tiny firm. A friend of a friend said, oh, you should come do this. And I was like, oh, I want to work at your rinky dink dopey firm. I actually said that out loud. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I owned it. <laughs> I became the owner of the Rinky Ding oh, Dump you did? Firm. Yeah. How long would you like, I'm going to buy this place after how long? No. So I had, so I joined this company and I, I liked the idea that from 
the planner perspective that I could kind of marry two parts of me, which is I could actually use my little math head, which I loved, and also help people. Because when you're a trader, you use your math head, but you don't help anybody. And I think that that was the missing piece for me, that there had to be some way that like it, it didn't excite me to work on a trading desk or to be an investment banker. I couldn't find anything that interesting in the process. And, you know, since I come from the industry in terms of my DNA, I knew what all these jobs were. And yeah. I knew that it was baloney. Like, oh, yeah, you feel so good taking a company public. Like, I mean, yeah, you make a lot of money, but you don't feel good. And you feel <laughs> good if you say, Wes, tell me what your financial situation is and I help you get there. That's when you feel good. Mm -hmm. um, so I met these guys. They owned this teeny firm. There were four people who worked there. And I was like, eh, whatever. I'll just, who cares? You know, I really yeah. said that. I was like, yeah, what's the worst that happens? I learned. And so. I'm I'm not a big risk taker in general, but I am a very big risk taker career wise. I uh -huh. never felt like there was any downside. Um, all right, so I go in this company, and it's a year later, and they're like, "You should buy." Uh, we we're fifty fifty partners, these two people, and they said you should buy a third of it. I'm like, okay. And then fourteen years later, I left. But it was great. It was good fun. Part of the way that we actually made money that you know was that you got people to come in and you said i'm going to charge you to do your financial planning and i'm going to charge you to invest for you like a fee, fee was it fee only or is no, it no no i was not no. that evolved no way i always say to the people at napfa they gave me a nice award a few years ago and i'm like ha huh, you never would have given you would have hated me <laughs> in I, the beginning you know, yeah. yeah totally i was like commission based then i was fee based but you know i did a million different things i was like i didn't care i wanted to hustle i wanted to make some money mm -hmm. and we wanted to grow the company so um, that's still okay, by the way, in the Retire Sooner podcast world. It's okay to make want to make some money. That's, yeah. That's, that's okay. I mean, here. you know what Mrs. Schlesinger says? She's very famous for this. My mother, she'll, rich or poor, it's nice to have money. Yeah. Rich or poor, it's nice to have money. Right. <laughs> Either way, just nice. <laughs> A lot of options there. Um, so I, so my partner came from the insurance industry. Okay. Okay. He was unbelievable salesperson. I got to tell you, like some of those insurance folks, man, they are amazing. Um, and so he was really good. And I knew the financial, I knew a sort of like more of the macro stuff and the man, money management stuff. So he kind of taught me how to sell. And I gave him like the, here's how you actually invest for, you know, the long term and the things you look at. And it was a good combination. But, you know, this maybe 1993, four and, um, I remember saying to him, I cannot make cold calls. I can't even make warm calls. I had a client who was the general manager of a local radio station. And I went to him. I said, oh, you have this numbskull on the air. He's terrible. I couldn't be as bad as that. Maybe maybe I could host a radio show about financial stuff. And that's what happened. And I wow. talked my way. So you did this I, early 90s, like yeah. mid-90s, you were on the radio. Yeah, so I oh, did man. radio um, when we had cart machines and we ran our own board and all that stuff, mm -hmm. stuff that you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's like a Betamax of audio <laughs> um, or VHS. Uh, and then, um, we, so we hosted this radio show, my partner and I, and it was a call-in radio show and it was great. Um, we got huge exposure and I was living in, um, a, a city in New England called Providence, Rhode Island, small townish. And, um, even though it's a city and it's the kind of thing where you're on the radio and all of a sudden everybody's like, Oh, I heard you on the radio. And then the guy who hosted 
the show that would um, go local show that went on television before the Today Show called me one day and he goes, I don't know if you know me, but I host the show. I'm like, of course, he's like a local hero. He says, would you ever do television? I said, it's so funny you're calling me because I interned at your TV station when I was in college for four years. And so I went back to that and place. So you interned at NBC. Yeah, I, op- I interned at an NBC affiliate in Providence called WJAR. It was a oh. monster station. Okay, it was a yeah. monster. And I really wanted to, th- I thought I was going to be a sports producer. That's what I thought I was going to do with my life. Kay. But then I found out that that meant you made no money for yeah. a long time. I like keep telling, really I keep telling my, one of my kids that. That's what all he wants to do in the world. So mm. kids still well, want to do that, by the way. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I just Sounds like the best job. Yeah. It is the best job, except yeah. you make no money. Yeah. Um, and you know, when I figured that out, that's when I went. I, so I had like um, I, the summer after my junior year of college, I did uh, an internship with a communications company and an intern sh- and a job working for my dad's firm. And one was like, oh, here, this is what they gave us. I'm not even kidding you. Like the stipend was we'll give you $15 a week for the subway. That was what she gave you. And then for my the fa- week for the week. Yeah. Mm. Nice. And then my dad's firm made a ton of money. It's like 1986. Everyone was making money and all the clerks got bonus out. I got a $5,000 check just at the end of the summer because I was part of a team that processed a lot of business. So you're like, this is where I'm going. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> no way I'm doing media. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I went back to media in, and I just used it to grow the business. That yeah. was the only reason I was doing media. There were two really instrumental people. A guy who was a program director at the radio station and the woman who was the news director at the TV station. Both of them mm-hmm. said to me, you have a natural ability to do this. Mm-hmm. And even though this is not your job, we really want you to think of it as, you know, what you're doing, at least let us help you. Mm-hmm. And so both of those people became extraordinarily important in my career development. So, you know, one guy who's, he's a huge radio guy now. And, and you know, I, I won an award a couple of years ago and I first started with like, thank you, Bill Hess. He runs like a lot of radio stations. And so, um, and the woman was very young news director, one of the few female news directors in the, AB, in the NBC owned and operated system. And I had met somebody in New York and I was kind of splitting my time between New York and Providence. And she's like, oh, I know some people who know people. And then I started doing TV and I was a guest and that lasted kind of in the 2000s. And I was doing a ton of TV just as a guest to come on because I could translate really complicated weirdo yeah. things. And to, that- to, to like on the Today Show. Uh, not on the Today Show. So I was on CNBC a bunch as mm-hmm. a, like somebody was like, hey, she's a money manager and she talks to real people. I didn't mm-hmm. have like super wealthy clients. I had kind of millionaire next door. Uh, I had more of like a millionaire next door. But even, you know, I was always very. Most people in the financial planning business want to go after the biggest fish. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, if all the people are chasing the biggest fish, what about the not so big fish like Mm -hmm. they're good size but they're not huge so we built a business on people so in the 90s and the early 2000s who had money like a half a million to two million Mm dollars in to invest and we would always violate our own idea of minimum when we just like somebody or we thought someone had a really good um like growth perspective Yeah, yeah yeah 
And so we we just never held firm to that. It's one of the funny things I think about, like many of the guys in the industry and the gals in the industry. Yeah, we have minimums. I'm like, all right, good luck. You're going to lose a lot of great people. Did you? So when you made the transition from, so there was a point when was media taking over, and you were like, look, mm. I'm going to get out of the the the. Well. Um, we had sold our firm. We were rolling up. Oh, you we did had sell a, it. Okay. We had employment contracts. I was like way done. And, um, and as it, you know, I wanted out, I wanted to move back to New York. It's where mm. my family is. I didn't think I was ever going to like, who could imagine that I was going to spend, you know, 10 or 12 years in Rhode Island. It's just, it was not what I had thought my life would be. And, um, and I stayed there because of the business, but we had sold the business. We were earned out. And then like, I kind of was like, ah, I'm done with this. And like, mm -hmm. let me out of my contract. He's here. He can run it, whatever. And we had plenty of really good people in place. And, uh, in the beginning of 2009, I found myself with, uh, no job. And, uh, you know, it, it was a financial crisis. And, um, <laughs> uh, my girlfriend worked for a big wall street bank. And so, you know, we were fine. But, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I had been doing a ton of, of just, you know, appearances on CBS. I got a call in February, the beginning of February of 2009 Nine. from yeah. CBS, the network. And uh, hi, I'm head of talent. I'd love you to come in. And that's mm. how it started. And I said, oh, I don't want a job. I said, I'm exhausted. I've been running my own company. I've worked like so hard, killer. And I didn't make enough money to be like, oh, I've done money and I can never work again. But, I, you know, it was a good, you had a I good had a base. good exit. I yeah. had a good exit, yeah. right? And um, and I said, I'm not going to work. I don't want to do this. Like this is, they said, well, we're starting this new part of the broadcast and we're going to have a website and we'd love you to be the face and the voice of the website and nah, I don't want it. Well, come in and talk to us. I said, fine. Three weeks later, I signed a contract and now that was uh, in, I think I was, yeah, like March or April, I signed a contract and so I've been there ever since. What was that originally called? Is that just a division Money of CBS? Watch. It was oh. CBS Money Watch. So I had a really kind of a funny thing. I went, I first started working for the interactive division of CBS isn't there still CBS Money Watch or is it something yes. else now? Yes. Yeah. So okay. remember there were two there are two very confusing names. Kids, don't do this. You say to yourself, Oh, isn't it funny? People will mistake us for Market Watch and we'll yeah. grab extra share. It's not at all what happened. What happened was everyone's like, Wait, I thought you worked at Market Watch. I don't see you on the air. I don't see you there. It's Dumb. Money Watch, not Market Watch. <laughs> so it was CBS Money Watch. And then I did the thing again, completely counterintuitive. I um, I left the interactive side where all the growth was and I went to the broadcast side. The broadcast side, which is the television network and the radio network, still paid tons more money than the interactive side. Yeah. So I was like, what am I doing? And, and so what was funny is that the folks who I worked for, all the different divisions, they said to me, you're never going to make money on the interactive side for a while. You better come over here. Mm -hmm. And so I went over and I've been there ever since. Um, and so my role is I'm called, you know, alternatively, the CBS News business analyst. Sometimes I CBS did see that business. Yeah. Business analyst made up. I made it up with a guy. Uh, the woman, one of the women who was like a high ranking person in the organization said, what's your title going to be? I said, well, I'm not really a correspondent. I, I analyze stuff. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, I don't know. I said, financial analyst. She goes, no, nah, that sounds like like a stupid Wall Street. Term. Yeah. <laughs> Said, How about business? Oh, perfect. Let's put that down. She even she and it's still in the system. She put it in as senior business analyst, which it's it's like if you 
when the security guy calls me and I say, tell me what it says on the screen. He'll say, this is, it says senior business analyst. I said, oh God, it's still there. <laughs> it's it was made up. All right, Jill. So let's go. I want to dive into some money things, but maybe first, because you, you just kind of chronicled a little bit of how you got going in this business before you transitioned to full media. What currently to this day is the best slash worst, meaning like the best pitch, but the worst mm. idea that's out there right now? Uh, it depends your category, you know, what age you are. Um, the easiest thing to sell to someone who's thinking about retirement is an annuity. Because it sounds great. That's what great. I thought you might say. Okay, it yeah. sounds great. Yeah, Fantastic. it sounds amazing, right? Like, a, don't you want your own pension? Yes, I do. Great. <laughs> um, so that's the easy. But you know what? Here's the thing that I've learned in being in this business now for whatever, 30-something years um, in financial services. It's all emotional, okay? So mm -hmm. anything that can hook into someone's emotions is easy to sell. And there really are only two emotions around your financial life. There is fear and there is greed. So the sales pitches that prey on either of those emotions, greed on the way up, fear on the way down, or, you know, we just had a fear-based period a year ago, but it's close enough in your, in your memory that you can go back and say, oh, you never want to go that, feel that again, do you, mm -hmm. Wes, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so that's it. So, what is, so that to me is kind of, that always annoys me. So what's the best? The best is that you can actually get financial planning for a reasonable fee now. And mm -hmm. that was something I'd always wanted to, to do in my business and I couldn't, technology wasn't there yet. Mm -hmm. I think it is the coolest thing in the world that someone can go to Vanguard or TD Ameritrade or Schwab. Schwab Fidelity. And Fidelity, yeah. and you can basically get a robo-advisor, which costs like essentially nothing. Mm -hmm. And if you want planning, even if you want a little extra planning on top of that, it's not that expensive. Yeah. And it may not be the best. I, I love the guys in the business who are like, well, you don't get a dedicated advisor. Or you don't get this. You know what? It's better than nothing. Yeah, and, better than you nothing. Know, so um, I think that that's the best thing that's happening. People come to you all the time, I'm sure. And even though you're not managing money right now, I'm sure people all the time are like, Jill, how do I manage my money? I've got a million bucks or I've got 500 grand. Mm -hmm. I've got 5 million. What's your favorite investment style? How do you invest or tell people? If your mom, Mrs. Schlesinger come, Jill, what do I do with this money? Like, what right. do you tell them to do? So there, to know yourself, first of all, mm -hmm. and figure out what you want. Do I just want to manage money or do I have real financial planning needs? Most people will come through the front door with how do I invest my money? But mm -hmm. behind that are much more important questions. When can I retire? How am I gonna pay for my kid's college education? What? How much life insurance do I need? Uh, I haven't done my estate planning because my wife and I can't agree on a guardian for our kids. You know, mm -hmm. all those things are really important. Um, so I think that that's critical. So for you, from an investment standpoint, you do, do you use one of the robos or do you do all indexes or? It's all index all the time, yeah. baby. And, and yeah. some, I shouldn't say that. It's mostly all index with the okay. exception of I live in New York City. So I have individual municipal bonds, mm. meaning that yeah. I live in a very high tax state and we are in high tax brackets. Mm -hmm. And so that means I work with somebody who is an amazing individual bond person who knows mm -hmm. what they're doing. And yeah, so that's it. And I work with a financial planner. I pay him because mm -hmm. 
He does things for me that I will not do for myself, like analyze the very best retirement plan for someone who's Mm self-employed. And let's do that. Or crunch the numbers about some investment idea that, you know, I don't know, that someone brought to me. Mm -hmm. Or more importantly, you know, look at my own retirement planning numbers. As with another eye, with another eye. Yeah, of course, of course. You know, I mean, I can... Listen, I'm a spreadsheet spreadsheet queen. Like I can run those numbers pretty easily, and I know I'm. Uh, but you know, different permutations of it are interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's look at a strategy for converting IRA or to free tax Roth, money maybe. to a Roth, and what's the best idea around that? Anyway, I think that I'm happy. I feel like I, I feel like the same. Someone said, "Oh, how could you possibly pay someone? You yourself are a CFP." I said, "Okay, now." There are many people who can go out and paint their own home. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I could probably figure that out, but I would rather be working with a professional, someone who's looking at it all the time. I do not trade in my account. Mm-hmm. I absolutely don't trade. I did it in the beginning. So while I was in the beginning of CBS, I was managing the money and trading a little bit on the side and doing a little fun stuff. My brother-in-law is also a commodities, was a commodities trader at the time. We set up accounts, we started doing some stuff and then I just couldn't, I got too busy. Wait, so you, okay. So you just said you want to, you like to pay and you believe in it, but then you, you're saying most people shouldn't be paying where? Mm -mm. I think you got to know yourself. I think there are some people who really need financial advice. Yeah. And I think there are some people Be- because it goes back to emotion, right? To your absolutely, to, you know, um, the, the numbers I see from Vanguard are, you know, a third of people do everything a hundred percent on their own, which makes sense, and then yeah. about two thirds have some sort of money manager, some sort of advice, and that can be on a continuum. It could be as let's say non-specific and inexpensive as maybe a robo all the way to the, you know, the Goldman Sachs person that's going to charge one or 2% a year, right? Right. I mean, so why the reason why people hire financial planners is that they've complicated financial lives, or they have something going on. So Mm -hmm. let's say you call me up and you say, Jill, it's Wes, I'm thinking about retiring in, I don't know, three, four, five years. But I've been so good at managing my money during this accumulation phase. The idea of a strategy about how to manage that money and pull the money out, a decumulation strategy, I don't know how to do that. So I think that's very common. I think that when you have a life event, it can be really helpful to have a financial planner with you. So that could mean that a birth, a death, a marriage, a divorce, uh, it can mean the sale of a business. It could be some sort of windfall that you've experienced. You know, a guy really a call- cat- any sort of catalyst moment that yeah. that seems like a lot to handle. And it goes back to your point about emotion. If there's like, a, it's like, oh, I'm nervous to deal with this big chunk of money, then that that's when you need somebody. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember yeah. I had this um, big time corporate attorney from Boston who hired me. The guy was way smarter than I am, okay? So let me just be clear that, you know, he's advising oh, companies. Oh, as that an advisor. Go, as an advisor. Yeah. Like, this is, you know, 25 years ago. And I said, strikes me interesting, like, you know this stuff. He says, let me tell you what I know. I know that I will shoot myself in the foot every single financial decision that I make. Mm. I, I know it. I could actually advise someone else. I cannot do it myself. I will analyze it, and then I won't do anything. And, um, or I'll jump in because I am involved in a, some sort of, sort of 
anecdotal way with something, it seems like a good idea. Yeah. So sometimes very so true, right? You know, like sometimes it's like yeah. you know I'm going to hire Wes because Jill's just not going to make the best decision for Jill, mm-hmm. and that can be something. But you know, complicated financial issues are really good with an objective eye. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's very hard to be objective when it's you. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I, I started in this like 1997. I was an intern at a bit, you know, Wall Street firm. And then now I'm our, I have an RIA and I'm fee only and have been for many, many years. But it, it is always, a, it's, I would say two thirds of our folks are decumulation, which is a little scarier, a little mm. less easy. Uh, hey, I need a certain amount every single month forever. I don't believe in annuities, but it's almost every single day I get a call that is, whether it's someone graduating and they've got a car and I have a car and I don't want to, maybe you should give them our car before we buy another car or we're about to sell this house. I got an unsolicited offer for the house and we want to move to St. Simons. It's every day. It's some sort of relatively complicated issue that they just want to hear it from somebody third party. Like, hey, right. is this it's- crazy or not? Right. And and sometimes it's about career stuff, which I find fascinating. Oh, you just did some career stuff recently on CBS. Yeah. 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 And it's really been interesting. I, I have gotten, I'm, I'm sure from your client base that you hear this, but I think that the pandemic has really gotten people to think deeper about the way they work, who they work for, what they want in the future. And um, it certainly has prompted a lot of people to consider second careers, third careers, or transitions, saying like, you know, I've just heard from a lot of folks, you know, I'm around journalists. It's been a very grueling couple Mm. of years for journalists. And I have friends of mine who are just like, look at this with me. I can't do this anymore. I'm exhausted. It's going to be a new day. Let the young guys take over. (laughs) And, you know, let's see. And so I, I think that when you have another set of eyes, someone who gives you permission to do that, how mm. great is that, right? You say, hey, you know what, Wes, you can actually afford to do something else. Now, of course, that can cause you to have all sorts of weird emotional reactions to that, but you know, what it's kind of cool. What are some of your statistics about, uh, I know you just did some podcasts about this on What's the percentage of people that are unemployed that are thinking about maybe starting their own business or changing careers? What was mm. that stat? The stat is so wild. Um, there's been a 41% increase in new businesses in the first year of the pandemic. So essentially February to February, February 2020 to February 21. John. 41% increase from which the prior is, year. By the way, we've had like a 20-year decline in new business formation, which is amazing. Right, okay. right. And so there are people who are now saying, I really want to start my own business. Maybe it's out of necessity, but maybe it's like, you know what? Mm, I don't want to do this. And uh, Pew just did a study of people who were uh, unemployed. And... It was insane. It was two thirds of unemployed people who said, I'm considering doing something different. Now, I, I think it's sort of interesting that without getting political here, um, but you know, the idea of that extra unemployment benefit that everyone's like, oh my God, it's terrible. I can't hire a restaurant worker. Well, maybe restaurant workers just picked their heads up and said, holy crap, you know what? That's a I can't curse on your show. That was a crappy job. Okay. Like that's a shitty job. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is shitty and hard job. Okay. Uh I don't get paid enough. I don't get paid enough. So maybe I should figure out something else. I had this great conversation with somebody who was looking for salespeople. And I said, if I were you, I would get one of these hiring websites and I would write a spot, like a little thing that basically said, bartenders come talk to me. 
because a bartender is a great salesperson. Yeah. Let's be honest. I mean, who could convince you to get a $22 glass of Macallan <laughs> when the bottle is just 70, you know? Yeah, like, that's Come true. on. Yeah. Um, so I think that people are looking around, people are anxious, and you know, I'm sure that you talk a lot about retiring early. Mm-hmm. But I'm not so sure that that's exactly what people want. I just really do believe, like I've always felt like the FIRE movement, it's really about the F-I, not the R-E. That it is, financial independence is critical. And people just went through a traumatic year. Mm -hmm. And they may not be able to get financially independent. They may not even be able to retire early, but they may say to themselves, I am not going to actually be happy doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you have to have a certain amount of money to be able to do that. But I think it's great. And I think that there are a lot of people who are 50 years old and saying, there's another 10-year chapter for me. There's another 15-year chapter for me. Can I make less money? Hey, Wes, run the numbers for me. I have been a teacher for blankety blank years. I'm going to get a pension. I'm I'm, getting burned out. I'm Right. I am fried. And I am sure that there are people who are in lots of different industries who feel that way. And they just, they don't want to retire early, but they do want the opportunity to do something different from age, you know, 50 to 70. One thing that I found, and this was, I don't know, maybe it's because there was a the name on it, but back when I did retire sooner than you think, I, my early retirement thought was like, if you're 62 and you're stopping working, that's pretty early. Mm-hmm. And um, that created some momentum around people finding me and said, hey, I really want to retire early. And then it was like, I'm 59. I'm now, it's I'm 55. And the numbers got younger and younger and younger. And one thing that, you know, I was like, look, guys, I, I said retire early, not like retire way early. And that's what I found. But the, the practical part of that, Jill, and I'm sure you've seen this, is I labeled it as what I call the retirement gray zone, which is the 50-year-old that kind of has almost enough money, but it's a little too early to tap in. And yeah. then it's like, look, you've been making 150000 a year. You don't need to save anymore. Now you could actually scale back to something you don't hate. And maybe it's 50 grand a year. And that's enough to not spend. But it's like a gray zone. It's a warm-up for retirement. I I think that's a really helpful concept. Yeah, and I wouldn't even call it, you know, a friend of mine, Michael Goodman, who's a financial planner and investment advisor in, in the city, he he hates the word retirement. He goes, mm-hmm. I would like to reframe that as unemployment because you are not getting any money. <laughs> and so if you want to like actually look at the next 35 years and mm-hmm. figure out whether you have enough money to live the life you want to live, that's one thing. But, you know, when I was writing my book, I felt like, Everyone has a retirement chapter that's like save for retirement. So I wanted to write my retirement chapter about the mistake that people make, which is they retire too early. Mm, too and early, they, okay. They, they retire too early and give, they spend too much early in their retirement. All right, give me an example on that. Um, and, yep. and this goes back to dumb things that smart people do with their money. Right. So, this is your you book, know, yeah. Right. Tell me I some have, of the dumb things that smart what? people do. Oh, I got three million bucks and I'm 55 years old. And so, you know, I feel like, well, you know, for every million, I'll grab 30 grand a year, 90 grand. I can live on 90 grand and then I'll collect social security and that's great. But then you don't live on 90 grand. Mm. Um, you have to pay for your own health insurance for until you're 65. And um, you, d- you do the thing that we all do, which is you have a friend who dies very young and you say, damn it, I'm not going to be like Joe and I'm going to enjoy myself. Aren't I entitled? And you spend a lot of money early in your retirement 
And then all of a sudden you get to be 65, 70 years old and you've depleted that $3 million and you haven't spent 90 grand a year. You spent more like mm, 120. Mm-hmm. Now there's not enough money there, really. And you're still pretty young. So you've seen that happen. So oh, yeah. Yeah? Like a lot. Really? Yeah. Okay. A lot. Okay. So um, I am a huge fan of work, mostly because I come from workers, uh, except my dad wasn't. I mean, my dad wasn't a hard worker. He was like, no, nah, I have a great job. Yeah. You know, I'm a trader. He, he literally did that forever. And reta- stopped uh, that was his last job? Or? Well, sort of, kind of. You know, he um, he was a trader on the floor of the American Stock Exchange. He was a trader off the floor. He just, with a bunch of friends, piled, you know, got some money, and they, they traded from off the floor. He made, But he essentially retired when he was 59, 60. Mm-hmm. And it was terrible. It was terrible for him, I oh, think. Oh, he didn't like it. He didn't like no, it. No, I think he would like it. He, you know, this is the thing. I think it's terrible. I'm judgmental, of course, of my own father. Um, I think that it was too early for him to be disengaged from structure. Mm-hmm. And I think that he he wallowed a little bit. It was tough, you know. And then he started doing things like helping people start little businesses. Not like I'm going to talk. It's going to sound like he's a private equity guy, but he's not. I'm talking about a guy who was like, I have this tiny little business that makes uniforms and I wish if I could just get a hundred grand, I would have more operating capital. I mean, my father was like, well, let me look at your business. And he would like do little things like that. Oh, cool. But I okay. think that not being engaged is a terrible thing when mm. you're young. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the problems about retirement is, it, and when you really say, I'm not going to work, you think you're not going to work and you, you miss your camaraderie. Your spouse is great, but that's a lot of time. And a lot of your friends aren't retired. Yeah. And so I, so I know a ton of really, really rich Wall Street people who will not retire because they're afraid. They're like, I don't know what I would do with myself. Yeah. And there's only so much golf you can play. And when they get to a certain point, if they've got $20 million, $50 million, they really, the, the calculus has changed because you could walk away at any time. So it does, it does take, it, it, work it takes on a slightly different angle. When you have full independence. Totally. It's like yeah. the great FU fund that yeah. you have. You're like, yeah, I don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I used, so every year I do the, for the CBS staff, I do like a big thing, financial planning and retirement for- Oh, for all the, the CBS for folks, the, yeah. For the news division. Yeah. And, um, and it's a funny thing because there's a bunch of people in the organization who are union folks- their camera huh. operators, their yeah. sound people, and they have pensions. Mm. And so there's something really interesting about that. So um, every time when there's a big buyout, I'll get, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people asking me, what do you think for me? What do you think for yeah. me? And you know yeah. what? The buyout is great. You get your pension, but you're on your own for health insurance. Yeah. And and I said, so listen, you know, that pensions is great, but, you know, you have to think. And I said, by the way, are you sure you'd know what that means to retire, to not work anymore? It sounds great, but maybe not. And so I just, I, hey, by I the am, way, What's the ratio? How many of the folks, the, the, your typical lump sum versus pension, 200 grand in a lump sum or, you know, 1200 bucks a month. How often do you see, what, what, what's your ratio on the monthly versus the lump sum? Oh my God. I mean, if it's real money, it is usually the monthly is so much better. The deal is so much better. And there's no risk. Mm-hmm. You know, presu- I, I get, yeah, I, I do a lot of um, radio work in the Seattle market because they have a huh. big station there called yeah. Cairo. 
Um, and so oh, yeah, that's I, right. Your your show is syndicated on how many so, stations? Like I don't know, 150 or something. But I mean, it's, I mean, part <laughs> of my job for CBS is that I'm on the the radio network. So CBS radio, yeah, yeah. So we have affiliates. We have four or five hundred affiliates. So my voice is out there, and then I do these quick interviews with mm. our big markets. So the top 20 markets, they have access to me when there's breaking news. Mm-hmm. And um, so I get a lot of, of people who ask me questions from uh, Seattle because it's a big market. Big, yeah. And guess what is in Seattle? Boeing. Microsoft and Boeing. And Microsoft. Yeah. And, uh, Boeing's uh, but, tons but Boeing, of packages, yeah. So I get a lot of questions about it. It's fascinating to read. Like, And people send me everything. They're like, let me just send you, I'm gonna send you all my numbers, right? I cannot tell you how often you look at the numbers and you're like, wow, this is actually just a no-brainer. Just mm. get your monthly income. Now, it is, it's antithetical to way, the way probably you think about it, which is you want your liquidity, right? Mm-hmm. But presuming that, see, most of the people that I talk to on my shows and the people who are asking those kinds of questions usually have this wonderful situation where it's like, I've got the pension and I've saved in a deferred comp. Mm. And I think so that combination, both. yeah. So yeah. it's like, oh my god, I can get a, uh, you know, this one guy I spoke to just recently. You know, he get I get ninety grand a year mm. in my pension, and I got two million dollars in my retirement account. Oh, that's nice. Ninety now, grand a year, knowing you can pay your bills, is pretty great. But if you had no money in the retirement account in ninety, mm. you'd say that's hey, a problem. T- take the million dollar lump sum instead, right? Because. I think liquidity, so there's like keys of my Probably life. more than a million, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the keys of my life are you always want liquidity, you, which because it buys you options, mm. right? Yeah. And, um, and I can work my way out of a lot of situations, but I cannot work my way out of undersaving. Mm. In other words, you can be a really crapo investor and still be fine. Yeah. I mean, really. <laughs> you could, you could have worked with the biggest idiot who I like, put you in a bunch of you know, front loaded mutual funds and paid a terrible price for that, but still be fine. Yeah. But what you can never make up for is you just didn't start saving early enough. It just, it's really hard. It's really hard. What are some other, cause we, I know I'm gonna, I'm, I don't wanna keep you forever. I feel like you're like my kindred sister in the financial nice, world. Nice, I like that. I could be because like I, your big sister, your big sister, cause you're much of, younger. Yeah. Yeah. Lo- I mean, maybe like a year younger. The uh, But I've done <laughs> kind of, I was telling uh, Andrew who booked this, who, who got you to come on the show. I was like, I feel like Jill is kind of just a more successful version of me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. You've got a thriving business. The, um, we are in very different businesses. and You know, like we're in the same business, but very different. Yeah, I guess I've skewed way more to the, the RIA side. But yeah, I've been, I never listen, want to do that again. I've been doing, I was, I've been doing radio for 14 years on WSP in Atlanta. And then I've, so I've been doing radio forever. But um, the podcast thing is somewhat new to mm-hmm. actually focus on it. And it is, yeah. it's different. It is a different medium. Oh, I, yeah. I, I thought it was going to be the same. I'm like, oh, radio podcast, same. It's different. It's 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 funny um, when people ask me about podcasting versus radio. Um, you know, there's obviously the commercial incentive is different, and also the the type of people who listen and the way they listen is different. So I I agree. I had a radio show first, and then it morphed, and then I started a podcast. But but you do when, both now. Yeah. Yes, because I'm an idiot, um, God, and because uh, I don't have an RIA, because I'll never yeah. make as much money as you, basically. <laughs> um, listen, you make a lot more money running money, right? Yeah, you just yeah. do. I mean, yeah. I left a firm in 
after the crisis in 2008 that had a half a billion dollars mm -hmm. or 600 million, okay? So let me just say that it would have been much more lucrative to stay there. Yeah. But I love what I do. Yeah. And uh, I never, ever want to deal with clients ever again. It's so funny. I was wondering as we were talking, I'm like, man, I wonder if I could get Jill to come work with us. I was yes, like, and, no and, one's and, ever had that idea. And, you, and, and I know. I, and you, I, that's why you're probably good about literally <laughs> like, nope, uh-uh. Just yeah. don't even ask. No. Um, all right, give no. me, hold on. Before we go, I got I to Take your time. I'm um, to relax. So I've got to drive to the Philadelphia airport and like. Oh, you know, goodness gracious. Stop at the mix and get some, get a good sandwich. Um, by the way, the dumb things where people do, one of the things you talked about is they put off, they don't do wills. They, 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 they may be overly optimistic. Hey, I'm never going to, yeah. nothing's ever going to happen to me. I, and I looked up this statistic because I always state this, the, most millionaires don't have wills. And I, I finally, I was like, you know, I'm going to look it up. 78% of millennials don't have a will, which that doesn't surprise me. 64% uh, of Gen X doesn't have a will. That starts to surprise me. And then 50% or almost half of the 53 up group says they don't have a will. It, what What is that? Why? They're idiots and they're selfish assholes. That's what they are. Okay. That's what they are. Um, I say that sort of in jest, but not really. If you've ever been involved in the management of an estate without a will, it's brutal. Mm. It's just brutal. It's just, it's so mean to your heirs. Yeah. Um, and I, so what are, the, what are the barriers of entry? I don't have any money. I don't need it. Well, um, did we just go through a pandemic in the last year where a lot of people had tubes thr thrust down their throats and maybe they would or would not want that? I think you should write that down. Mm -hmm. So I am at the, like, at the very base level, like a will, a power of attorney, and a healthcare proxy. By the way, you know, it's funny when you say that about the millennials. You know, an older millennial is 40 years old now. Mm, and yeah, that's so. shocking to me that like, so yeah, I mean, if you're 50, you're just a dingbat. Uh, you know, but if you're 35 and 40, if you're married and you get kids, or coupled yeah. or you have kids and you're a single parent or you're taking care of your older parent that is, you know, trying to make it through this world, it's just, it's so easy. So I used to be very uh, religious about get an estate attorney. Mm -hmm. Now I really don't care. I'm like, you know what? If you're going to do it, as, you're going to do it online, then go do it online. Just That's at the least only thing. go do it online. Do Kinda something. Like your point about like, just at least invest, even if just it's not do perfect. Something. Just yeah. do something. Policy Genius. The woman who runs Policy Genius, the CEO is Jennifer Fitzgerald. I love her. She's not, I mean, I think she sponsors the show, but not even because I have a relationship with her because yeah. um, through the sales foot, foot people. But um, they created an online product that's quite good. Now, if you have a net worth that's less than a million dollars, it'll work for you. If you have some weirdo complicated life and it's your second marriage and you got millions and millions of dollars, it's not going to be quite as good. Mm -hmm. But then get your ass to an attorney. Mm -hmm. Like it is just not that hard. Yeah. And it's emotional. And um, my, the funniest knockdown drag out fight, which I must recount to you. Please. That I saw <laughs> in an office. In my office um, when I... So there oh, this was is, you're going back to your RIA days. Yeah. Okay. Was a fight between two uh, a married couple and they were talking about the estate planning and I was mm -hmm. like I just don't understand why we can't get this going. Like I had given them an estate attorney. I'm like let's and they would cancel cancel cancel. And then finally um the reason why not why? Because we can't agree about our kids and guardianship. 
Yeah. Because it's not going to be your goddamn brother and it's not going to be your horrible sister. sister. And then that, so that's a fight. And one of them marched out of my office, slammed the door and shattered a glass pane door oh because my she got so completely incensed. So I get it. It's emotional. But, you know, you what I have also learned from great estate attorneys is that these are living, breathing documents. You can change them. Do something. Do something. Like, even if it's like, okay, you know what? Uh, the only person we can decide upon to get to, to take care of the kids is our parents, which is a terrible idea. But if that's the only one you can decide upon, great. And we'll figure it out later. You know, it's so funny. You're right. You almost need a catalyst. I remember uh, Lynn the the catalyst I remember so vividly was that we were going to a wedding in Costa Rica. And you think about Costa Rica, you think like romancing the stone, like a little plane's gonna come in and probably clip a tree and you probably, yeah. you know, you have a high probability of not making it. Uh, and I remember we had just had our first child and she's like, no, 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 we're not going to your buddy's wedding in Costa mm -hmm. Rica until we at least do a will. And I did it. I literally yep. went to LegalZoom. I think back, I don't know if it was a LegalZoom back then. Yeah. He's 14 now. And I did it and I've done three iterations of it as life's gotten more complicated. I Three years ago, I did trust and more trust planning because then I have four kids. So your no, point- No, because I'll tell me, you why, because you are so rich. That's why. It, it's complicated for the four kids. <laughs> I got four little kids. <laughs> How, what are the ages, please? Oldest is 14, and then I, my, so 14, 11, 9, and 5. And you guys are gluttons. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. You got, you better keep managing money. I get, I, I'll, I'll be doing this. Now, I am retired sooner podcast, but to your point, you know, when you're loving what you're doing, it just doesn't like, there's no reason to ever not, to not keep going. So yeah. it's a core pursuit of mine. Let me ask you the last question. Um, so it's funny that we we talked a lot about the Wall Street folks that are, or plenty of people that have plenty of money that still keep working. Mm -hmm. The there is a there is a group. I tend to have a bunch of families that, uh, you know, I, I I think of the if I could paint a picture of the most common story is the thirty year AT and T because we're Bell South. Uh, AT&T hub back in the day mm -hmm. and AT&T, you know, I'm sure they'll never sponsor my show, but they're like the worst when it comes <laughs> to people. They, they call their layoffs. They actually, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but they call it surplusing. Oh, bro. Have you ever heard that? So AT&T no, every year does, you know, just in Atlanta, they'll do like 2000 surpluses a year. They don't call them early retirement package. They don't call, they call it surplusing. Like there's a surplus of humans and we are going to get rid of the surplus of humans here Ugh. at our company. So 30 years, same company, marginal, like barely making any more money today than you were 22 years ago. And the commute mm. of like, you know, an hour this way and an hour back and they're just beating down like, I'm so ready to go. Yes. And for, for that group, mm. I call these core pursuits and I found that happy retirees have 3.6 core pursuits. Unhappy retirees have 1.9. So that's like, that, that's part of my money and happiness research. But core pursuit is a hobby on steroids. Yeah. What is yours? So I, so my big, my pursuit, my pursuits are that I'm in love with, because I'm a typical lesbian. I have to have dogs and talk have about them. I have to have dogs. Must. Okay. It's a must. Um, so you know, when well, I think about dogs, tell me about your dogs real quick. So, you know, I, 
I'm a very physical person. I already told you I was an athlete. So I'm an aging athlete with many aches and pains. So I love to cycle and I love to walk my dogs on these really crazy long walks. They're tiny dogs. You know, they're like 12 or 13 pounds. And we go, we walk miles. Like this morning we walked. uh, In the city or do you go somewhere? uh, I live near a park. So I live near Riverside Park. Uh, So today, let's just see that we've walked eight miles today. Total so far. So I walked all the way up through the park and I love doing that. And um, so... Other things that I'm really passionate about, I, you know, I do um, like charitable stuff. I have to really be engaged. So um, we're part of a big charitable organization that is uh, an environmental organization. And I'm on the board of the LGBT Center of New York, which is the biggest LGBT center in the country. And Mm. um, so I love that kind of stuff. I would never want to do it full time. Like one or two boards at a time is fine with me. And, you know, I have, um, I, I've, I've got involved with, you know, you know, I guess we're on our 19th year that my girlfriend comes from a very big Italian family and I have this very small Jewish family. And uh, between the two, we seem to be very busy with our families. But um, the, the, both, the crossover thing is that both families are very into theater. So we do a huh. lot of Broadway. We do a lot of, oh, you know, Oh, so your opera. families actually get along. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Okay. That doesn't yeah, happen mean, all the time. No, well, I mean, please. That's for sure. Um, so, you know, we're into the arts um, and we're, you know, I, all of a sudden life takes over and, you know. Is, work- is Manhattan, uh, I haven't been, since, I mean, I'm in Philly right now, but I haven't been all the way to fully into Manhattan since COVID. Is mm. it, where, where are you back in the thermometer so, of normal? Uh, you know, it's funny. We have just... So my girlfriend has had to be back in an office since last September. So yeah. it was like in the office, she was probably the only one on her floor, the full floor. And then um, and then kind of with the surge in winter, you know, it's back working from home. And then um, now back in the office. I can't get back into the CBS Broadcast Center. Like Wait, we are you're not, not allowed. So I just saw you. You look like I you're know. there. Didn't it look good? Yeah. You want to know the secret? Yes, I do. I'm not giving you the secret now. When we get off the air, I'll tell you the okay. secret. I don't want to. I don't want to burst everyone's. But bubble. literally, I was like, "Oh yeah, you're there. You're back. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the studio. No. Really? Um, so Midtown still looks kind of empty. Empty. But it's yeah. going to get back. And yeah. a lot of the firms are saying, "Please come back." Um, we were downtown at a restaurant um, last week with some friends. A great. Here's a super plug. If you want a great meal yeah. in Manhattan, Resdora, great Italian restaurant, just got a Michelin star. Um, and it, it we felt were, like back and it felt thriving. totally back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Res, what is it? Resdora? Resdora. R-E-Z-D-O-R-A. In fact, I had the chef owner early on my show early in the pandemic because I wanted, he was coming on to say like, we're open, like, mm-hmm. and here's how we're doing it. And we talked about the restaurant industry, but I think that the city is, is back. It is not what it was i don't know what it will be mm-hmm. i have lived long enough i am 55 years old so i have lived through many iterations of new york is dead it is not dead it is the best mm-hmm. city in the world with all due respect to atlanta um and it is the center of my universe i am a huge mm-hmm. fan of new york someone called the show and said oh we moved out of the city i said all right i'm hanging up click <laughs> just kidding God, you were so fu- so. I didn't realize you were so funny and entertaining. Yeah, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, um, well, it's I been fun. If you'd like to hear more from Jill Schlesinger, you can find her podcast or syndicated radio show, Jill on Money, and of course her book, The Dumb Things Smart People Do with Their Money. 
Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.